Um, hello, <laughs> all, all of you listeners. I am Charles Feldman, and the other person and laughing on the other end of this, uh, the other microphone there is... My name is Ela Edgar, and we're here for Trust on Purpose. At least I think that's what we're here for. I don't know. I think we are. I think we are. I think we are. Yeah, I think we are. We haven't actually done one one of these recordings for a little while. We took a long hiatus, so we're just figuring out getting our rhythm back here. Yeah. How do we do this again? Oh, it's that button, not the... Uh, okay, good. Good. Anyway, we thank you for listening. And today we want to talk about when people become defensive and the impact that has on trust. And specifically for you coaches and, and consultants and, and maybe even facilitators out there, we want to focus this episode on when defensiveness shows up in the coach-client or facilitator-client or consultant-client relationship and what that can do to trust and maybe how we as coaches and consultants and facilitators can get out of that, pull out of that nosedive and get back on track. So are you ready to jump into this one, Ela? Let's do it. Let's do it. We're going to start with a story that comes from a ways back in my coaching career. I had a client who had left a position that she was doing well at, but kind of getting bored with. She had taken a job in the same field, but taken a step up. She was kind of getting ready to head out across country to take this new position. And she wanted to be as well prepared for it as she could, so she had hired me as a coach. Initially, things seemed to be going quite well. She was engaged in the coaching and so on. And then that engagement seemed to sort of wane. And I was trying to figure out what was going on. And so I pointed it out a couple of times and she said, you know, no, no, everything's fine. You know, and we were checking in, how are we doing related to the goals that you wanted to achieve? And everything was fine. And, and then kind of late in the coaching engagement, one of the last sessions, I asked her again, you know, and I gave her some specific feedback. And she said, well, here's the thing. Back early on in one of the earlier sessions, it seemed like, you know, no, she didn't say it seemed like. She said, you said to me at one point that you did not think that I was actually capable of doing this job that I'm heading across the country to do, which blew me away. I was just, <laughs> I was astonished because... First of all, that's not what I thought. That was not what I believed at all. And I had a really hard time imagining myself saying that. Even if I had that assessment, I would not have just bluntly said in a coaching session, this is, you know, this is what I think. So I attempted to convey those things without myself sounding defensive, but I imagine that my own defensiveness crept into that. So there's Two pieces to this that I think we want to explore here is one, managing my own defensiveness and what that might have done to her trust in me, but also her defensiveness and where it came from and how it affected her trust. So now that I've told you this little story here, what do you think? What are some thoughts that are up for you? As I was listening to you tell this story, I was putting myself actually in her shoes and trying to envision what that might feel like. And 
I feel, again, I'm not her, so I'm imagining that I would be committed to being right. That I've heard you say that, you did say it, and my defensiveness would be about defending my rightness and proving that you did say it. And that I think I would get stuck there. Mm. And without, you know, pausing and reflecting and unpacking this, which could have happened later in the coaching or a different part of the conversation. But I think in the moment, I would have been really committed to being right. No, actually, Charles, you did say that. Here's how you said it. Here's how it landed on me. And I'm going to sit here in my rightness and defend it. Wow. And so then where do you go from there? You know, as you say that, I am kind of thinking, yeah, it may be exactly what was going on for her uh, or very, something very similar anyway. Defending your rightness, defending being right about the situation. What is it, if you can unpack that a little bit, if you would imagine yourself in that situation or maybe think about what might be going on for her or have been, what is it about being right that we need to defend? Hang on. I think there's a few things that are coming to me. So number one, had that happened and you said those words or that I heard those words, let me just rephrase that. If I had heard those words from someone that I trusted to be my coach, I'd be gutted, absolutely gutted. And so what other possibility is not making it up? So it's not that I'm incompetent, that I can't listen, that I can't understand the English language. So there's a competency issue. Sincerity for me is in question because I thought that you were transparent and authentic with me. And then I would probably also be questioning your care about me. And that all feels like it's going to get, people could see my hands. I'm like making this knotted little ball with my fingers. That feels like a really icky, knotted mess that many of us wouldn't know where to start to unpack that and actually know what's really going on. And so in that ickiness, in that this is incredibly uncomfortable, you said it, you did this, and I'm going to prove that I'm right and that you're wrong. Yeah. And I, as I said a moment ago, I, my first thing that I had to do is kind of manage my own mm -hmm. defensiveness around that. I had to really interrogate myself. Could it be possible that I said something close enough to that, that that's what she heard. Right. Which I was having trouble imagining because I had thought several times I had really come across as supporting her, you know, her choice to do this, to leave a job that she was good at and doing well in and all that kind of thing and taking a chance going clear across the country and so on. So I was just struggling to figure out. And so I was, I am sure I was defensive. Because she was questioning my integrity, my sincerity. Yeah. And my competence as a coach. I mean, what, what competent coach is going to say something like that? Right. Directly to a client. I had to take a few deep breaths. And obviously, I didn't want to attack. I mean, come across in any way as attacking or, you know, saying anything that would make her even more defensive. Mm -hmm. But I just... <laughs> frankly didn't know what to say. Yeah. Now, I think that what was kind of great in what you were just saying a moment ago is that at the time, I didn't really have a framework for talking about trust. 
but clearly she didn't trust me by the, this is session six or something. Clearly she didn't trust me anymore. She had built up this story. She'd held on to it. She hadn't shared it with me, even though that was part of original contract with my clients is tell me, you know, if, if there's something that's, that's going to make it difficult for you. Anyway, she hadn't shared it with me. So now she has this, as you described, this big icky ball of it that she's holding on to. And I think with this framework, I could have begun to say something like, well, first of all, I can understand how this is painful, that what you heard is quite painful for you, because I would have been basically saying you're not competent, that I didn't trust your competence and that you shouldn't trust your competence in taking this, you know, that you're ready to take this new job. And then moving on to sincerity, I can see that when I say, you know, I didn't say that, and you clearly think I did. I'm, in a sense, almost challenging your trustworthiness in the domain of sincerity, your honesty, in effect, that you either are intentionally or unintentionally being dishonest with me. Or alternately, I'm being dishonest with you. I'm trying to back out of something that I said that, yeah. Yeah. So probably both, probably both going on. And that would be a starting point for a conversation because I could express empathy. And all of that, I mean, I'm taking there, I can, all of that, I can see how that is, is really made it difficult for you to trust me right now and has been for the last two or three sessions. And as we talked about in the very first session, trust is the foundation for coaching. Where would you like to go from here? Yeah. Wow. And she may not know. She may not. She may not know where to go from here. Yeah. I think the other thing that popped up while I was just listening to you, is one possibility is defending her rightness. The other possibility, which I think we both know would take a boatload of courage, huge vulnerability, a true sense of safety and trust for her to say, I heard that, or I thought that I heard that, but perhaps I didn't or some version of that, which I don't know about you, but when the itty bitty shitty committee in my fight, flight, freeze kicks in, I don't think that I even have that available. I don't know that in the moment or in the near vicinity of when the situation happened that I would have the ability to do that. I think that's one of the things that we invite our clients to do is reflection and practice. And we can build that awareness but in the moment, we're caught in the grips of all sorts of things. Yeah. As a friend of mine, an exceptional coach, used to call it the starfish on the face. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's like stuck on yeah. your face and you yeah. can't see around it. Yeah. It's just right there. And this is a tiny little example, but my lovely husband has a value of safety, which I love that, right? He really cares about keeping our family safe. And he often says things like, when I'm walking out the door and getting into my car, make sure you drive safe or drive safe. And I would hear that as a judgment about my driving, and I would immediately get defensive. And there'd be mm. a little, 
uh, really? No, I'm going to drive like a banshee. And so it was only in my work that I could let go of this isn't a judgment about me or my driving or my competence. It's coming from a place of care for my safety. So I listen differently. And I think that's an invitation for many of us as we bump into life, whether it's with our coaching clients or people we love and lead, to listen to things. And is there, in fact, something for me to pay attention to? Or is my automatic to jump into defensive? Because I hear it as a judgment. Yeah. And I think that actually is going to be one that we can take up on a separate episode when we talk about working with our client around their own defensiveness in their relationships with the people they work with, because that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. Those little, mm -hmm. those little things. And, you know, once the first one happens, then we hear more and more, we hear that. So more and more you heard once you made that assessment that, oh, you know, yeah. He's questioning my competence as a driver. Right. Then anything else that's even vaguely connected to that, you'd hear as, oh, another jab at my driving or my competence right. or whatever. Right. And so similar to your client, I was very committed to proving him wrong. But I also, and I kind of retelling this story after so many years, because I really haven't talked about it. I talked about it with a coach that I knew a long time ago after this happened. But one thing that occurs to me now as I'm telling it is that I had, as a coach, I think I had not paid enough attention, attention to trust building with my client, that she did not feel safe to say right away, hey, what? What did I hear? Or, or maybe if she heard something and as between sessions, she thought, what was that hurt? Did he say that she didn't just bring it up in the next session and have a conversation about it? She didn't feel sufficiently safe. So she continued to play along, you know, as a client. She pretended to be a client, <laughs> went through the motion, but she wasn't really working after that. She wasn't being a client, being a coachee. And that I, I think was to some fairly great degree my failure to have built a safe container. So it's worth me unpacking that mm -hmm. for myself, although I mm -hmm. think that I haven't had anything like that happen for a long time. Still, I think it's important for me to pay attention to how I and us as coaches actually build that safe container from the beginning, mm -hmm. which starts with our coaching agreement, our contracting, which yeah. goes beyond an agreement. There's a lot of other pieces to contracting. And it should be done continuously, really. We should be continuously contracting with our client around what we're talking about and how we're talking about it and where we're going and all those things. So yeah, somewhere along the line, I must have missed some of that with this particular client. It brings to mind something that I've more recently added into my agreements, whether they're consulting or facilitation or coaching, is when things go off the rails. What's our commitment to each other to putting them back on track and how will we do that? So there could be little tiny bumps and snags to full-on dumpster fires and everything in between. But it's, you know, saying it again, I know I've shared this one so many times, dig the well before you're thirsty. We may encounter a bump, we may encounter a dumpster fire, 
if either of those happen, how are we going to take care of this together? And talking about it while things are okay and really digging into here's how we want to navigate it. Here's what we'll do to each other or with each other. Here's how we'll communicate. Here's how we'll take care of it, which I think can apply to so many relationships now, new, or, hey, we've worked together for a while and I realize we haven't talked about this, or team, you know, we're nearly formed or mergers, acquisitions, all sorts of things have changed. Let's pause here and figure out how can we do this together so that if that does happen, we're more prepared and more tooled to fix it together, to rectify it together. What's the word I used with you earlier? Not fix it, resolve it. Resolve it, yes. Resolve it. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. That's a very well-spoken description of that piece of building the container, whether it's with an individual client or a team or a group of people that we're working with. I know having worked with you with a team that you talk about it as creating us as part of it, but that's an important part of the creating mm -hmm. us is what's our commitment. And that's mm -hmm. wonderful. I love that language. What's our commitment to each other? So can we go back to that particular situation and were you able to resolve what happened? I don't think I was able to truly resolve it with her. She said that she wanted to continue through the last two sessions. She seemed to be relatively present and engaged in the process. We ended what I now wish I would have said was, okay, so here we're in this. And what's your commitment? What's my commitment? My commitment to you is... I think I did do a version of that, but it probably wasn't as clear and coherent as what you just said. And it wasn't maybe as invitational to her as it could have been. But I think however this worked out, she did do the last couple of sessions and seemed to get something out of them. So I don't know whether she backed off. And I didn't, we didn't ever go back and talk about that, which is also and I'm looking at it thinking, oh, man, <laughs> there was some work for me because I did do actually some of that work. Like, what happened? Why didn't I even bring it up again? But we left, I guess we both sort of tacitly decided to let Sleeping Dog fly and moved on with the last couple of sessions of coaching. And she paid me for the full engagement. And she presumably went on. I really didn't hear from her after that. She wasn't a client whom I've kept in touch with. Some I have, and in this case, I didn't. And she didn't keep in touch with me, but I'm yeah. assuming that she was going to do a fine job. In fact, at the end, the last couple of sessions, she was in her new job. So she was there, and it seemed like she was getting her feet on the ground pretty well, which I had. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't have any question about her doing, yeah. you know? Yeah. That was the irony about that whole thing is I knew she'd be able to hit the ground running with these folks. Mm -hmm. What happened with you after? How did this affect you? How did you take care of yourself? It really kind of made me question. You know, it kind of threw me for a loop. Yeah. Because, as I said, I didn't build the container well and or didn't. Maybe I built it kind of well to start with, but I didn't maintain it or something such that she did not feel safe enough to come to address stuff with me. I've had people fire me 
and twice <laughs> as, as their coach. But they were not afraid to address the issues with me and mm-hmm. move on. And that was mm-hmm. fine. And I've also f- fired clients yep. before. And I, you know, no problem addressing the issues. But in this case, there was no safety for her, not, not enough. And that really flowed through me for a loop that that had happened, where it had gone down that way. And so I did talk to a person that I, at the time, was kind of working with as my coach and still do from time to time when I'm screwing up <laughs> or think I'm screwing up yeah, or yeah. You know, need, need to yeah. work through something. Help. <laughs> yeah, I'm making a mess of things here. No, I actually, I, I usually go to my coach before I make a mess of things. When I'm able to start uh, digging the well before I... Get thirsty. <laughs> before you fall into the well. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what I was about to say. And then I, that's not quite the metaphor we, we want. Well, I suppose I do have to dig it before I fall into it, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. It set me back a bit for a while. And that's good. I mean, I, I really, I think as a human being and, of course, a professional coach, we need to be humiliated now and then. Mm-hmm. Humbled, maybe Humble. is the better way Humble. to talk. Humbled by our own failings, having them sort of reflected back at us in, in our clients or from our clients. Mm-hmm. as well as other people sometimes. In that sense, that was valuable for me. And it, it took me a, a little while to begin to see the value in it and work with it, as has some of the other big humbling moments in my, mm-hmm. my career. Just listening to a uh, talk by David White yesterday, where he was talking about how as whatever our career is, his is a poet, whatever our career is, those moments when we're humble, mm-hmm. are a treasure. In that sense, it was a good thing that that happened because it allowed me to reflect on some things that I clearly hadn't reflected on before. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of one recently where there wasn't defensiveness, but I felt dismissed. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And that was while I was standing in front of a room facilitating and... I noticed behavior at one of the tables and it felt very dismissive. Like there was an entirely different conversation going on. These are the stories that I, entirely different conversation. They're not interested. I've not presented anything of value. And my immediate reaction is to shrink and, and become small. And I could feel it happening like in real time. And in my, in my body, I was like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, because we were only maybe halfway through the allotted time. And I'm not sure I'm quite ready to say that that was a treasure and a gift, but it was a really interesting experience for me to catch it, notice it. I think I still did shrink and go a bit smaller, but I didn't let it get really bad. I didn't let it to continue to make me smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. I was able to nip it. I didn't go back to full shining brightness for sure. You know, sparkles and rainbows didn't suddenly appear again. But it was an interestingly uncomfortable place for me to be, to hold that and to be in it and to feel it. And it feels super shitty. It feels super shitty. Yeah. 
Now, it happened probably about a month ago. It's interesting because I have reflected and thought about that situation again and how much of it I made up Ah. or that I read behaviors to mean something that that's not actually what they meant. And so out of curiosity, did you try to do anything that verified in any way your assessment that they were not paying attention, didn't care, weren't interested? Not in the moment. One of the table participants, when she left at the end of the session, came and spoke with me and gave some, I'm going to say, cursory feedback. You know, that was that was good. Thank you for... But she did stop to say something. She didn't have to. But in that yeah. moment, I was still in my smallness and hearing that as, you know, oh, she's just giving me a platitude. Doesn't really mean anything, yeah, right? Yeah, I could hear that. Cursory feedback, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's an interesting place to take a look at either our own defensiveness or others' defensiveness. And are we reading the behaviors? Are we making up stories about the behaviors? Well, and I could see where if your defensiveness had gotten the better of you and you had been the kind of person whose best defense is an attack, a good attack, that you could have said something snarky or sarcastic or whatever and really brought up their defensiveness, mm-hmm. which is, of course, <laughs> not, not, not good to be useful for anybody. Yeah. Not good. But yeah, defensiveness definitely gets in the way of trust, no matter how you think about it, because we're defending something. And we're essentially, if you go back to the definition of trust that we use, it's risking making something I value vulnerable to someone else's actions. And so I'm defending whatever it is that I value in that moment by distrusting Mm -hmm. and invoking for myself those behaviors that I always go back to my distrust behavior repertoire. I'll just pull this piece of armor out of the closet and put it on and I'll clam up or, you know, you kind of make yourself small. Mm-hmm. As I was saying earlier before we started recording here, that I tend to do something sort of similar. I just leave the room mentally and don't stay engaged. So what we need to do is think about it as, okay, that person over there, whatever's going on with them, They're defending something important around themselves. What am I defending? Oh, I'm defending my sense of self-worth. I'm defending my sense of the good coach that I am, my good coach persona here, or whatever it is. And when I start doing that, immediately the behavior that comes up from me, out of me, looks suspicious, looks untrustworthy to the other person or the other people. And the same goes with whatever they're doing to defend themselves. So the whole distrust cycle can go downwards really fast. And the only way that we could save it, keep that from happening, is self-awareness. Well, self-awareness, self-compassion, empathy, and compassion for the other. Yeah. Because it's unlikely that the other person, or very possible the other person doesn't have the tools to do that. So... We're going to need to have the tools ourselves as coaches, as consultants, as facilitators to be able to call it for ourselves and move in a different direction. Mm -hmm. Shift out of our unconscious, habitual, defensive behavior, whatever it is. So why don't we 
unless you have anything else on this particular topic, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, even those of us that do this for a living, we still mess up. Like this isn't something that we can just automatically pull out of our toolbox every single time and get it right. And so what I think I love the, the look on your face. Yeah. Yes. Why not? Right. I think, you know, as we talk about this is that remember that we're all human and that none of us is a rock star every single day. And we get the beautiful gift of do-overs when we need to. We can take some pause and self-reflection in whatever way, shape, or form we can. And that really, at the end of the day, can we show up and just be human every day? Yeah, I think that's yeah. beautiful. That's well said. Yeah. Well, I'm going to thank our listeners out there. And possibly the next session we do, we'll take a look at how as coaches and consultants and facilitators, we can help our clients deal with their defensiveness towards each other, which is, it starts with us because we have to build sufficient trust with them to actually be able to do anything in that domain. And then once we have, how do we do it? What can we do? What can we bring to them? I think that'll be a great one. Okay, good. As always, Ela, thank you very much. We'll see you next time. On behalf of both Charles and myself, we want to say a big thank you to our producer and sound editor, Chad Penner, Hillary Rideout of Inside Out Branding, who does our promotion, our amazing graphics, and marketing for us. And our theme music was composed by Jonas Smith. If you have any questions or comments for us about the podcast, if you have a trust-related situation that you'd like us to take up in one of our episodes, we'd love to hear from you at trust at trustonpurpose.org. And we'd also like to thank you, our listeners. Take care and keep building trust on purpose. Until next time. Until next time.